For this reason, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, King. One of the things that I think is just so fascinating about God's word is he even says it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the, vi- the division of soul and spirit. And just thinking about how, like, I... Hunting is a, is a passion of mine, and like, I struggle to even keep my like, knife sharp. And I like, got a really expensive knife for my birthday one year, and I'm just like, what's wrong with me? Am I like, not a, like adequate man that I don't know how to sharpen a knife? You know? <laughs> like, I mean, I, th- I think I do, but then it goes dull like, super fast, so I don't know. Uh, but it's like the Word of God has a sharpness to it that um, never grows dull. And as we go through the Word of God here and going through the book of Ephesians that we've launched the church with for about 14 weeks, we'll be walking through this book that's only six chapters long, but one of the commentaries I look at is over 900 pages just written about these six chapters. And that's one of the reasons we have these little scripture journals too, is looking at how sharp the Word of God is to speak into our moment right now, like September 15th, 2019. It's not like Dole. It needs to be refashioned or reworked for this time and this age. It is actually just as cutting edge, you know, no pun intended, it's just as cutting edge uh, today as it was when it was first written. And I think for me, growing up in this community, I would have said, if you would have asked me when I was in high school, uh, 1995, 1996, I would have said, I believed in God. Like, I I also would have thought, though, doesn't everybody in this community believe in God? You know, like, maybe I know a couple atheists. Like, I might know some atheists in our community, but don't most people in our state, don't most people in our community, don't most people in America just, like, believe in God? You know, like, if someone came up to me in high school and said, are you an atheist? I would have been like, no, no. No, I'm not an atheist. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm a Christian. Like, I attend this church kind of around the holidays and stuff, and, and I've grown up kind of going to that church. Um, I knew a bunch of hymns. I thought Amazing Grace. And I still, I mean, there are still some ladies in this community. Uh, a lot of them have passed away. But, man, when they would sing Old Rugged Cross, there was just something that, like, gave me this warm fuzzy that I was just like, man, that is powerful. Uh, I knew almost nothing about the Bible, though. I mean, almost nothing. Like, I I was just thinking, I was like, what did I know about the Bible when I was growing up? And I'd say, I knew there was Mary, I knew there was Jesus, I knew there was Moses, 
I knew about David and, um, and the, you know, throwing the rock at Goliath. I knew Noah had an ark. Um, I knew Daniel was in the lion's den. Um, but if you, like, ask me to talk about any verses of the Bible or you ask me to, like, expound on anything in the Bible, I'd be like, man, I just gave you everything I know. Like, I mean, I've just maxed out all that I know on the Bible has just happened in your presence, you know. Um, and church for me, for me, I mean, this was so much, I think, of my growing up. And it wasn't negative towards the pastors or anything. But church for me felt like something you had to endure. Like, church wasn't like an enjoyable thing. It was almost like, like uh, you know, running a marathon or like working for a farmer where I was like, okay, this is not going to be enjoyable. I'm going to endure this, but I'll feel good when it's over. <laughs> like, that was kind of like my view of church is like, I'm going to leave feeling so good about myself after I endure a church service, you know? And it wasn't until I was in high school and the sins that I was secretly doing that I thought were going to really make me happy, I then became convinced that God was more real than I ever thought he was. He let me know that the things I thought I was keeping and, and like secretly, like no one knew what was happening, that he let me know that he knew what was happening. He saw everything that I was doing. I thought I was leading like the kind of the life that was going to make me happy, and he let me know that I was being rebellious. He let me know that I was living in a way that did not lead to life and wasn't what he had for me. It wasn't the best he had for me. And uh, I tried to make some deals with him, like, hey, what if I do this? Will you leave me alone? What if I kind of make my good a little bit better? Will you, like, back off? And he instead, like, doubled down on his conviction of my heart and, and letting me know he saw everything, letting me know that he had a better way. And I remember sitting in a church not too far from here in the community and looking around and being like, oh, my gosh, I, like, passionately know God is real. And I remember thinking this in, like, like 1996. I know very much that God is real, but I'm not on the right side of him. Like, I just remember being like, I, I'm not on the right side of him. Um, I know he's real, but my sin, the secret sins around me that I'm believing that, that you know, I'm trying to make everybody just think I'm a good person. And, like, God's going to mess this up. He's going to break in and let people see that I'm not just a good person. And so, uh, so I'm not an atheist at this point, but I'm also not where I need to be. That was key for me. It's like, okay, I'm not an atheist, but I'm not where I'm supposed to be. This is a big part of today. This is a big part of the passage in Ephesians is where do you go from there? Where do you go where you're like, I believe in God, but I believe in him a way that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Where do you go from there? Last week, Paul gave us a 202-word sentence. So we covered all these verses that were just one sentence because Paul was so passionate, he couldn't stop to put a period down in his sentence. And this week, we back that, we go from a 202-word sentence to now a 169-word sentence. I mean, he just kind of like stops and then goes... And then he like lays in again to like this tirade that he's going to do. And, but last time he was teaching us. So all those 202 words were teaching. This time, though, it's a prayer. He's now praying for us, praying for the Ephesians. And uh, it's in chapter 1, and it starts in verse 15 this morning. Chapter 1, verse 14, it says, or verse 15. For this reason... 
because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So the first thing that Paul like brings up here is you have believed. Look at this. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I, he, like, he's so excited that these people have faith in Jesus. Which the obvious question is, well, what does it mean to have faith in the Lord Jesus? And that's actually a really important question. And so there's going to be a bunch of verses, but it's like we can't move on from here. Of At the very important face of this is what does it mean to have faith? Because Paul is starting right out of the gate saying, wow, you guys have faith in Jesus. So the reformers in the 1500s, uh, going way before that, people have kind of like dissected what faith is. Because I could just be like, hey, have faith. And you're like, okay, am I having it? I don't know if I'm having it or not. Am I having it right now? I'm not sure. So one of the components of faith, I'm going to give you three components. So feel free to jot this in your scripture journal if you want to. Uh, The three components of faith is knowledge, belief, and trust. Knowledge, belief, and trust. So first of all, knowledge. So I don't stand up here today believing that God is a cucumber. Right? Like, I don't believe God is a cucumber. Like, I'm not, like, getting all the cucumbers out of my garden and worshiping the cucumbers. Like, that's not my knowledge of God. I have a very different knowledge of God. So to have faith, I have to have knowledge of something. It can't just be have faith in what? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just have faith. No, there's a knowledge component to it. I have a certain knowledge that there is a God who created everything. Okay? I have a knowledge that this God is good and has a son, Jesus, And you can't have faith without having knowledge. But if you just have knowledge, you still don't have faith. Okay? So I could say, like, hey, I know that there's a God who created everything. You can have that knowledge and still not have faith. Belief, then. So the second one, belief. Belief, I have heard that this God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Okay? So there's more to the story. That that son lived the life that folks can't live themselves. This son died a death on the cross, paying for the sins of humanity. He conquered death through his resurrection. I don't just know these things. It's not like this mental ascent. But yes, I believe, here's where belief is. I believe that what you just said reflects reality. I believe that what you just said reflects reality. So you can't have faith without belief, but here's what seems kind of weird, and it might seem weird as I'm saying it. If you just have knowledge and belief, you still don't have faith. Okay? So then trust. Trust is actually, I put my eternal soul into the hands of God. I know the one that I'm putting my hands in. I believe what he has revealed to us. I believe that that reflects reality, and I trust him for my salvation. What he did on the cross isn't just something to kind of be like, "Uh uh-huh, I know about that, but it actually, that's my living Savior. I now have given my life so that I can live in him, and that's faith, when knowledge, belief, and trust come together. There's a, this is kind of, it's a helpful illustration for me, is a chair, okay? So a chair I can look at that chair and say, hey, I actually know what that is. That's a chair. 
And if you say, hey, do you believe that that chair can support you? I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I believe that that chair could support my full weight. All right. And then I just leave, right? No. Then trust is actually, can I just sit in that thing like all in? You know, like if this thing's going to collapse, I'm going to be on the ground, right? Like I am putting my full weight in that chair. And that's what Paul's talking about when he's talking about the Ephesians putting their faith in the Lord Jesus is that they are fully resting on them. And that's the huge difference. And the huge difference for me growing up, having a belief about Jesus, but not actually knowing Jesus. And here's what's crazy. Demons know and believe Jesus. Like some of the most evil beings in existence know that Jesus is the savior of the world. They know that if people put their trust in Jesus, they would be forever saved. And they're doing everything they can to get people to not believe in Jesus. And so Paul is saying, man, we've got a group of folks in Ephesus that are fully putting their trust in Jesus. And I am, he's in prison, but he is rejoicing that these Ephesians are doing this. One scholar looking at this passage has said, their faith was not simply an intellectual affirmation of Christian belief about Jesus, about Jesus, but was, more importantly, an intimate union with Jesus who provided them with grace and strength to survive and thrive in the world. Paul's writing this from prison, saying, man, these people are trusting in Jesus. They, uh, it's incredible. Paul's ecstatic because how people have responded. They've put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And the natural question for us is, have we responded? Have we responded? Or what would you need to respond? What would you need to respond? Would you need more knowledge? What would your neighbor need to respond to the treasures of Jesus? Would they need to be able to believe that that reflects reality? Or maybe their past is in a certain way where, man, it's going to be hard for them to put their full weight and just be all in with Jesus. And that's where what's great from the, from the book of Ephesians is sometimes the response isn't, well, I should try harder. But instead, it turns into a prayer. It's like, God, would you actually give me a heart of belief like that? Or would you allow me to fully trust you? I want to be all in. I want to completely trust you. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. But then look where Paul takes this. And your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in your prayers, in my prayers. Second, Paul brings up to the Ephesians how you love the saints. Paul's like, man, you love Jesus and you love Jesus' people. You love the saints. We live in a culture where we like everything. I was convicted of this the other day where I was like, I was actually feeling like some FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. I was feeling like just some, like, oh, I'm, I'm looking at pictures on Instagram and Facebook of like, you know, I wish that that was my life. I wish I was able to be in that place or in that room. And what do I do? I hit like, like, like. Like, you know, and I'm like liking things that I actually don't like in my heart, but I'm still like, I don't have a dislike button, right? And people would know that I'm disliking it too. And so I just have to say that I'm liking it, even though I, I feel yucky saying that I'm liking it, right? And well, in Ephesus, there are people who are coming together 
who you would have thought would have disliked each other. They had racial differences, they had religious background differences, they had economic differences, and yet Paul isn't saying, man, when you guys are together, you look like you like each other. Like you kind of put on these masks and you kind of like, you grit your teeth and it looks like you like each other. No, like Paul's able to say like, you guys actually love each other. You love people that on paper you shouldn't love because of all the differences that you have, but you have Jesus in common. And with Jesus in common, you're recognizing that it's like, man, what Jesus has done for me and how Jesus has saved me and changed me, how can I look at you and look down on you? Or, or how, could I, how could I look at you other than to be like, man, this is crazy that he loves both of us. And um, when I was at UNI and I had just come to Jesus in Cedar Falls, there was a lady that I'd never encountered a person that was like a punk rock, like, punk person, you know, and so this lady just had like, I don't even know how to describe her, but she had all the piercings, all the tattoos, all of the like, every time I saw her, her hair was a different color, all black, kind of baggy clothes and stuff, and I remember just like having a love towards her, like just being like, man, Jesus saved me and he saved you, crazy, huh? Like, look at me and look at you. He saved both of us, you know? And I just remember her and I having a conversation one time, and um, she's like, Tim, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that we're friends, you know? And I, now, this is going to make me sound like the hero of my story, and I'm not the hero of every story. I 100% guarantee you I'm not, but at this one came to mind was that I remember looking at her and being like, you know, you know we're going to be in heaven forever together, right? Why, why can't we be friends now? <laughs> you know, it's like we're going to share the same space together, so we, we, we should probably not, like, push each other away. We should be like, come on, let's, uh, let's do this together. And John 13, 35 is a prayer. It should be a prayer for all of us in our community and uh, just a prayer that the Lord would do this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I love he just cuts to the chase, not like if you can get along with each other, work out your differences, you know, uh, you should look good. So, you know, it's not like putting up a false identity or anything. It's just 100% like, hey, what if you guys could have a genuine love for each other? And man, I know that there are probably stories in here that we don't know, um, that only you know of like reasons that church has hurt you in the past, or uh, there could be all sorts of things that are genuinely tragic. Um, you know, my hope is as the Lord forms a new body here, um, you know, that he would also form a new love inside of us for God's people and caring for each other, that our community could see that we are truly following Jesus because of the love that we have for one another. It's a thermometer of their hearts. And, uh, you know, a good question for us is just, do I love the saints of Collins Maxwell? Do I love those in Collins and Maxwell who are followers of Jesus? Do I love the saints of Baxter? Carrie Ann's prayer was just incredible with uh, just the heart that you know that she has for the town that she grew up in and the desire, you know, not a prayer of condemnation, or, but a prayer truly to build up the body of Christ. 
Maybe there's some healthy restoration that needs to happen, redemption, conflict, resolution, and it's great. Like, that's why we lock arms together. That's why we're a church together, is we want to be able to help each other with that. So Paul has, has rejoiced that they believe, that they have faith. He's rejoiced that they, that they love each other, and he is praying that they grow. Look at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So here he's praying from prison that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is praying uh, that they would grow in the wisdom and knowledge of God. You know, how great in our body if it's like, hey, look, I think I know God better six months from now than I do right now. That would be awesome. Paul is praying that they would grow in what God has called them to. Some people in the room here might be called to, uh, to some real social change. There might be trafficking. There could be um, injustice being done in our community towards kids. There could just be uh, single moms that are hurting. There could be just so many things that God may call us to do and to step into in the life of this church. And Paul is saying, like, I pray you saints of Jesus, that you would grow in what God has called you to. And then that you wouldn't just like try hard, but instead that you would grow in his power in your life, that he would actually empower what he's calling us to do. And Paul just blows up here that you can't even measure the greatness of his power, verse 19, towards us who believe and that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in our midst. And that's kind of like the humor of our God, is that he does things publicly sometimes, you know, he does something really big, but then he sends Jesus, who should have been in the most, like, expensive mansion that planet earth could ever create and would like toast the saving of human souls you know but instead he has him live a homeless life right and here we see too that that even in this room that the power that raised jesus from the dead is working here and a huge question for us is just are we growing one of the distinctives of our church is that we should be flourishing now it doesn't mean like life can't be really hard but it's that we're flourishing as much as we possibly could be flourishing here as a church body that is healthy and vibrant, that is locking arms together to live this life together, walking with our victorious Savior. We should be flourishing here as much as we could flourish. And, um, you know, for those who are into working out and everything is, uh, man, if you, like, did the same exercise routine for five years and you didn't see any results, you won't be like, well, back to the gym today. You know, let's see if anything changes. But instead, like Paul's, that's why Paul is praying for them. He is actually praying that they would grow, that they would thrive, not just survive, but that they would thrive in Ephesus and that we would do the same here. 
Paul then blows their minds by not, by not like leaving them there, but going to verse 21 and telling them that they're involved in God's transcendence and eminence. Look at verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul now geeks out theologically. Paul starts throwing down what would be the big words of transcendence and eminence. But uh, here, and we'll explain that, but here it's so easy for us to view, have our view of God be really small. And I don't know if you've maybe like, maybe you have this on a coffee mug or something, is a saying that like God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't know if you're familiar with that, like God will never give you more than you can handle. And I think we should like smash that on the ground. I'm just like, no offense if like you have a tattoo that says that or anything, it may be adjusted, you might be able to adjust it a little bit. But instead of saying God will never give you more than you can handle, I think the more biblical saying is God will never give you more than he can handle. And I think that's a, a, a more clear way to see who he is. And that's what the book of Ephesians is doing in verses 21 and verses 22 is being like, hey, let me pull back the curtain a little bit and show you this one that you're walking with. If everything in the universe, like everything that the Hubble telescope could show everything that, uh, that we could even think about past, present, and future. Like imagine though if everything in our entire existence is a painting, right? What Paul is saying is that if everything that we know of life is a painting, our God actually is stepping outside of that painting and is the one who's painting it. Like, he exists outside of time, outside of space. Anything that you can think of, he says. If you think of the Roman Empire, anything that you could possibly think of, God is bigger than that. He is wider than that. He is above that. So if it's like, man, what could I think of maybe one day that would be, like, super powerful? And Paul's like, he would be above that. He would be outside of that. He would actually be in control of that. And that is his transcendence. As the curtain pulls back, he's showing us how big he is, but then the unexpected happens, is that the one who is painting it then steps into the story. And so he is bigger than we can possibly imagine, but then he's closer than most of us ever give him credit for being. He's closer than any of us ever give him credit for being. His body could be the Milky Way, his body, the body of Jesus, could be thousands of galaxies. But what's crazy is in Ephesians, we're told that the body of Jesus is his church. So the one who effortlessly made the Milky Way, this is his body. And this is what he tells us. You know, it feels like the bad news bears or something. You know, it's like, it's like man, us? Are you serious? Like, like he took like the island of misfit toys and that's his body? And it's like, yeah, that's why you actually like that movie, is because how much it resonates with how the most unlikely can have powerful things done through them for his glory. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, writes this in uh, his book, Miracles, on chapter 14. He says, he comes down 
down from the heights, I think we have the, the quote on here to you. I don't know if you see it. It starts with, he comes down. It's worth seeing. There you go. Thanks, Anna. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time. So he first steps into time and space, down into humanity, down further still to the womb, to Mary's womb, down to the very roots and the seabed of nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. It's majestic. Paul is so stinking excited in this prayer, talking about the Ephesians being in the center of this reality of both how big God is and how near he is. And we should be equally excited through faith in Jesus to be as much as they are involved in the center of what God is doing in our place. Do you see how big he is? Do you see how near he is? Would we trust him there? Maybe for the first time, God's opening you up to this reality. And it's like, man, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm running. Being a, part of his, being a part of his body is a wild ride. <laughs> being in this room, planting a church, and seeing what's going to happen is going to be a wild ride. He's ferocious in pursuing us. He's changing us. It's for our good. He designed us. He redeems us. He sends us. He doesn't just do it, though, from a throne. His last words to us in Matthew, which we have on these uh, banners as you're walking out to you, his last words are, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as we're walking out of this place, he's told us, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm the head of the church. So there are several appropriate ways for us to respond this morning. And I thought as the worship team came up, uh, who will be leading us uh, back into worship soon, um, a few ways for us to respond. One way for us to respond is that some of you who maybe you came to Jesus five days ago, maybe you, you fully put your trust in Jesus five minutes ago, um, maybe you've been, you've been following Jesus for 15, 20 years, is, I'd mentioned this earlier, baptism. Baptism is not, it's not like a magical thing. There's no magic in the water. But what baptism is, is something that Jesus gave us that very tangibly shows what's happened inside of somebody. So baptism doesn't save anybody, but when someone is saved, putting their trust in Jesus as their savior, baptism shows to a community that I am a follower of Jesus. And uh, I have been in the room, I've baptized people that while I was baptizing them, and I didn't know it, no one in the room knew it at the time, but as a person was being baptized, when they came out of the water, other people in the room put their trust in Jesus for the first time and were like, holy smokes, this thing is real, I'm all in. And uh, I've had that more than one time uh, that's happened. And uh, it sometimes, I've heard a, a good friend of mine, uh, David, who was here two weeks ago, was like, man, the best sermon you'll ever preach in your life is in the waters of baptism, uh, that God will just do a beautiful thing. So talk to me, someone, if you'd like to head down the road of that. Um, another appropriate way for us to respond is communion. Jesus gave us this meal. He is so big, and he is so near. And he said, hey, I actually want to give you this meal, and when you take it, I want you to remember what I've done for you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he is with us even here. His presence is with us. The bread represents his body lived in our place. He lived the life that we couldn't live so that we could have his life. And so his, as we take the bread uh, from the inside out, his body representing us and living the perfect life we should have lived. 
Uh, then the blood, wine is the dark color, juice is the light color, obey your conscience there. Uh, then on this side, we've got uh, gluten-free crackers too, just so you know. Uh, but the, the wine and the juice is his blood, representing his blood that was shed for us. So we have his body live for us, his blood shed for us so that our sins could be washed away uh, in his presence. So the way that we'll take it today, we kind of will take it different ways just to uh, have different components of communion. But today, let's, we'll come and take the elements and then feel free to go and sit back down, but kind of circle up and so the way that we'll do that is just uh, make sure, don't take it by yourself, but maybe husbands, wives, or, or your whole row, or whatever, and just have one person just thank God uh, for his body and for his blood uh, as we take it. So we'll, we'll respond there. And then third is uh, this table is for those who've put their trust in Jesus. So if you have yet to do that, don't take this. I just encourage you to take Jesus. And, and just put Jesus on and put your faith in Jesus. Know him, believe in him, trust him. Uh, I'll be hanging out here if you want to pray together. Um, it won't just be the best thing that you would do today, but it would be the best thing that you would ever do is to put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and find your life in him. So let's all come. Let's all respond. And then Christy and the team will lead us into worship.